This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. everyone welcome to our bonus episode for the month of november so we are recording this uh around halloween time so it is very of the moment for us to be talking about a horror or at least horror adjacent movie for this bonus episode Mm -hmm. obviously it will be in your feeds a little bit after halloween but hopefully they don't hold us against this pride you know like a little bit of nostalgia for spooky season maybe yeah if it's around all saints day i feel like it's still also fitting especially given like the the religious bent of this particular horror hybrid movie yeah so I'm, i'm looking forward to talking about this this the movie that we selected to talk about for this bonus episode is actually one of our patron picks so Uh, Those of you who have listened to the show for a long time know that we have a Patreon. Mm -hmm. One of the tiers that you can pledge at allows you to uh, pick one movie per year for us to review on the air, and it can be literally anything you want. Uh, And that's what we're going to be doing today. So looking forward to jumping into one of our patron picks. Yeah, so this month's pick comes from Lindsay Dunn. Thank you for your support and patronage, Lindsay, um, who sent us uh, Agnes, which came out last year. Agnes was directed by Mickey Reese. And when she sent us this pick, she said that Agnes started out like a parody of The Exorcist, but halfway through becomes something much more meditative and thoughtful. And she also said that she resonated quite a bit with that main character as well. So she was she was interested to know what Kevin's and my thoughts were about this movie. So I'm going to give a little bit of a summary as well. Um, in Agnes, the quiet of a convent is shattered when the titular character Agnes, one of the sisters, played by Haley McFarland, appears to have been possessed by a demon. She's strong, she's blasphemous, and she knows things that she shouldn't. And in response, the Catholic Church sends an unconventional priest named Father Donahue, played by Ben Hall, and a soon-to-be-ordained priest named Benjamin, played by Jake Horowitz, to perform an exorcism. In the aftermath, Sister Mary, played by Molly C. Quinn, is left to sort out what she believes and how to hold those pieces together. So, Kevin, we've talked a little bit about um, horror this week and last week, and I I guess we'll be diving into that a little bit more um, with this episode. But I'm curious to know your stance on horror that takes on like a specifically religious bent. And and I guess um, probably a good entryway into that would be like, where do you land on The Exorcist? So I know that you and Wade discussed it when you and Wade were co-hosting the podcast, um, but I actually don't know where you land on The Exorcist. So I'm curious to know like how you feel about that movie and then where Agnes kind of stacks up against it. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I came late to The Exorcist, I feel like. I did not... I, the Exorcist was one of those movies... Uh, and it's funny, you know, we talked about this on our uh, most recent uh, regular release episode where we were, you know, we had elicited from listeners uh, uh, what they thought about horror as a genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one person wrote in and he, he mentioned that uh, he uh, struggles a lot with a lot of horror films not feeling edifying. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, The, the Exorcist... I knew kind of the, you know, the blasphemous stuff that happened in The Exorcist. I knew it was very intense uh, portrayal of demon possession. And so for the longest time, I was actually scared to watch. I just, I, I, 
uh, I wasn't sure how, if I wanted to put that into my brain, I wasn't sure if I could handle it. So I was, in, I was intimidated and I only got around to it when, when Wade and I talked about it, uh, all those years ago. And weirdly, when I got around to watching it, uh, I found it to be not nearly as horrifying as, as its reputation had led me to believe. Mm. I like it. I think that there are certain missteps that William Friedkin makes in, in just, the way that he ramps up the uh, the demon possession uh, from you know Regan being a normal girl to Regan being you know spewing green bile all over the place and having you know a rotting face mm-hmm. um, that for me kind of deflates it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I really appreciate about The Exorcist is that it feels like a very Catholic movie. Mm-hmm. The pitfall, I guess, and this is where we kind of maybe get into answering the other part of your question. Um, about religious horror films is that the pitfall of those movies is that they often kind of take the Catholic church pomp and circumstance and the rite of exorcism kind of just as sort of empty signifiers. Like, you know, here's, here's some stuff that we know kind of has a lot of religious cultural baggage that will allow us to coast a little bit and uh, make make us give us an easy way to goose the audience with some blasphemy because you know that just, from growing up in a Western culture that there are certain taboos Mm -hmm. um, and and that kind of gives them some certain shortcuts, but bad religious horror movies kind of, that's all they do. Good religious horror movies like the exorcist, I think feel like the person who has created them knows the faith. And even if they don't claim the faith, it's, it's something that they genuinely believe holds meaning. Mm-hmm. And that uh, they take seriously um, and don't condescend to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think The Exorcist does that in spades. And I think that's why it's endured for so long is because it feels genuinely like, if not a movie that a true believer made, at least a movie that a true believer can go to and feel like, this movie gets my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where, where I am with The Exorcist. I feel like... Most religious horror films that I've seen kind of fall into the former bad category rather than the good category with The Exorcist. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's that's kind of my starting point here. I'm curious to know where you begin and end with with that genre. Yeah, um, it's kind of the horror subgenre that I have the hardest time with specifically, and um, I I don't know. It's it's. Maybe it was a childhood fear or something, but like the idea of demon possession was something that scared me very deeply growing up. Um, and so The Exorcist really did a number on me the first time I saw it, which would have been about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. So not all that long ago. I was definitely a grown adult at the time. Um and so I, th- I think that there is a level of hesitance that I tend to have towards watching movies that involve possession or spiritual activity of any kind because I do genuinely believe that a lot of that stuff is real and um so there's that hesitation to I don't know invite that idea in even it wasn't something that I necessarily found all that edifying to begin with I've opened up a little bit more and am a little bit more interested in exploring those questions through kind of the the safety outlet of of movies um which is part of the reason why I think I admire The Exorcist quite a bit as well. And for me, a lot of what works about that movie is both 
um, Ellen Burstyn's performance mm -hmm. as Reagan's mother, Chris. Um, and then also Father Karras's story as a man who is really genuinely grappling with his faith and trying to come to grips with the idea of maybe I, I don't know what I believe anymore and what do I do with that? And then what do I do with that when confronted with the very real like spiritual reality um, of this demon possession that he is working to exercise? So um, it's definitely one of those, those genres that I tend to avoid um, or at the very least like try to be aware of. And actually... Um, kind of ties into my extreme distaste for the movie Hereditary as well, which I think mm. may have come up in some of the conversation uh, responses that we talked about in our main podcast episode when I asked about horror movies that people like. Hereditary is the only movie I've ever actually walked out of in the theater. Um, and it was because I was not prepared for the spiritual angle of that movie. And the moment that that started to really raise its head, um, I knew I just had to get out of there. So I ended up reading the Wikipedia summary and watching it with all of the lights on and the windows open in the middle of the day. And uh, that movie also did quite a number on me too. So um, I guess all of that is to say that this is kind of like, it, it feels like sensitive territory and it's territory that I kind of want to remain sensitive because I don't want to become fully inured to it, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. I, I remember when I saw The Witch, mm. um, which I think is a, is a very accomplished film. It's a very good film. But I remember seeing it for the first time in the theater and it just felt Eggers' powers of, uh, of just his filmmaking and his writing and his understanding of a certain kind of religious mindset are mm -hmm. so thoroughly and fully realized in that film that to uh, experience that vision as somebody who takes those things seriously mm -hmm. was deeply disturbing to me. And I still have not gone back and watched it a second time, despite thinking that's one of the best horror films of the new millennium, mm -hmm. simply because it does have that that curious uh, power and spiritual vision that is kind of a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like that's more of a me thing than, than a movie thing. But I think that that kind of gets at just religious horror in general is that the, the best exemplars of the subgenre really do kind of have that totality of vision and understanding of the religious experience and as, as kind of like a baseline fundamental aspect of how and why they work. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess maybe that, that would be a good jumping off point for us to get into Agnes a little bit because it also is even maybe more interested in, in questions of faith than it is in horror. The, the film kind of takes a, an unexpected turn halfway through where we think we're watching a exorcism movie and it reveals itself as something that's interested in being something far different. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, like you mentioned in your synopsis, is a movie that's very interested in Sister Mary's spiritual journey, like uh, this experience that she has with demon possession, with her friend being demon possessed, mm -hmm. and her subsequent choices after that. What does that say about her faith experience, what does it say about faith in general? Um, that's something that this movie is really interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think, I don't know, I'm I'm still kind of sorting through this one. And I think part of it is that structural strangeness and the fact that the movie does take a pretty, it's not a wild left turn. I think looking back on it, I could sort of see it coming. But at the same time, I think the movie starts off with a different set of protagonists than where it ends out. And... I wasn't entirely sure who precisely I was supposed to be rooting for, at least in the very beginning drama. Um, So the film starts off straightforwardly enough. um, The sisters are at dessert and one of them starts throwing cake and blaspheming. Um, And then the Catholic Church is going to send in um, a pair of exorcists in order to handle the issue. And and one of them, Father Donahue, is supposedly very experienced in this sort of thing. And I think we should probably get into his character a little bit later on as well, because I wasn't entirely sure what the movie was trying to say about him. Um, But Father Donahue kind of treats this as this is something... The, the right of exorcism specifically is something that the subject needs, but he doesn't really believe that it's real in any real sense. It, it's almost as though he's cavalier about his own faith and about his own trappings. And I couldn't really tell if the movie felt the same way about the Catholic Church that Father Donahue did, or if it was trying to underline a point and have him be... I don't know, like a, a skeptic who has decided to take advantage of the rights and the real beliefs of the other people around him. He, he kind of felt almost like a charlatan to me, which made things doubly interesting when another even more charlatan-like father character shows up um, a little bit later in the film. So I'm, I'm curious to know where you landed on that. Yeah, you know, I, I had a hard time with this this film too, unfortunately. And I think, um, so a, a lot of it stems from a similar confusion in that it was unclear to me what this film's perspective on faith and the institutional church was. Mm. Um, I actually went and I found a a podcast interview with uh, the director and co-writer Mickey Reese. So uh, Reese obviously directed. He also co-wrote the script with uh, John Selvage. And in this interview, Reese mentioned that Selvage uh, grew up in a religious background. Uh, Reese uh, apparently did not. Mm -hmm. And so uh, during the the writing and the filming, um, a lot of the, the questions of you know of of fidelity to you know the way the faith actually works and detailed questions like that that was kind of selvage's job during the writing and and reese uh kind of let him handle that Mm. um and i think that that comes through in the filmmaking i feel like as a director reese doesn't have that quality that i mentioned the exorcist having where he understands the the mindset of faith. He understands what faith is and how people experience it. Even people who are 
uh, deeply flawed or employ faith to twisted ends. Mm. Um, it doesn't feel like he understands why a person might do that or how that might actually look. Um, I, and, and these, these early scenes, you know, in the convent with a, with a mother superior or with father Donahue, I think that fuzziness on Reese's part kind of comes through in the way that he's directed the actors. Um, the, the, the actress playing the mother superior is kind of, she feels like a caricature, caricature to me. Um, Donahue similarly, uh, has kind of this, um, cavalier approach to his faith this this um very uh this very worldly wise kind of approach like you know people need exorcisms but exorcisms aren't really real um but the the way that the the actors are delivering these lines and the way that reese has kind of like conceptualized it on a story level it's just it feels kind of like he doesn't really know himself Hmm. what these characters believe he's just they're there to kind of present a certain um theme rather than uh present a fully realized character who is part of the institutional church part of a religious order for very specific reasons it kind of feels like they're just their their props in this film's story and the film isn't interested in them as anything other than signifiers of a certain perspective. And I think that fuzziness is maybe hamstrings the film a little bit when it comes to actually saying stuff about faith, because up to that point, it's not clear to me that the movie even really knows what faith is on a fundamental level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost feels as though that first half is an extended prologue towards Sister Mary's story. So half, halfway through the film, in, in the aftermath of that exorcism, one of the sisters leaves the convent completely. So Sister Mary, played by Molly C. Quinn, um, has to fumble through life outside the convent and life outside the religious order and faith that she's been in up until this point. And you get a, a, a couple of ideas about why she would have gone to the convent in the first place, but it almost feels as though she's asking that question herself. And I do think that that's a very interesting question, and it's not the kind of question that I I see in movies like this all that often, is the question of, well, what did I believe, and did I actually believe it? And now that I'm not sure if I actually believed that, what do I do with my life and my world. Like people ask this character repeatedly, well, what are you passionate about? What it is it what is it that you want to do now that you've left this convent and now that you've left your religious order? And she's not entirely sure herself. And I think that that's a good and interesting thing to explore and even to sit in. I think that that's something that a lot of people go through if they're deciding what what is it that I personally believe? Like, am I going to stay with the faith that I was raised in? Or am I going to strike out on my own in, in some other direction? But I think part of the problem is that um, the movie isn't entirely sure what direction that should be. And there isn't really a resolution. And again, that's not a bad thing. Like part of the part of the problem of faith is that you are continually working it out, right? It's not something where you're going to have complete and total certainty about how the world works because that's not really necessarily the point of faith is that entire certainty but at the same time i i kind of wish that the movie had had 
a stronger viewpoint beyond feeling like it was feeling its way through the problem alongside Sister Mary. Um, and then the other, the other thing that I have questions about is beyond this question of, I've been through this traumatic experience that definitely appears to have been a, a real demon possession, and now what do I do with my faith in the aftermath of that? I'm also curious about the character of Agnes because she's the titular character, but she doesn't get really get a ton of time on screen and we don't really find out what even happens to her afterwards. And so maybe that was intentional on the filmmaker's part to try to leave that sense of loss and not being sure what to believe anymore up in the air. But at the same time, I have so many questions and I feel like the movie opened the door to those questions it didn't even really fully ask those questions and then it left them all unresolved you know i think it seems to me that the the film is interested in exploring how uh the the demon possession in this film is kind of um almost a metaphor for um how uh a person uh confronted with uh, an uncaring world or an uncaring church, mm. whatever their case might be, um, the the demon possession, the symptoms, so to speak, the the uh, characters in this film who kind of flirt with that, kind of have bouts of uncontrollable laughter. They attack people and, and you know bite them, um, and the way it's framed in Agnes's case and and later in another character's case is that it's almost like a, a response to being backed into a corner by the world around them and just almost in desperation, either opening themselves up to a dark spiritual force or simply just lashing out because they've been given no other place to turn. Mm -hmm. I think that's an, that's interesting on a thematic level. I think the problem is this film is so uh, concerned with really asking you know kind of building out that theme that kind of has forgotten to also tell a story that accommodates it satisfyingly mm. um i don't think on a narrative level this is a, is a satisfying film like the the structural issues are unconventional and i appreciate the willingness to take risks on on reese's part mm -hmm. i don't think that they fully work though i like un, an unconventional structure still has to satisfy in some way either in terms of uh uh thematic payoff being so enriching that you that the 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 narrative the lack of narrative convention kind of becomes less important I don't think this film the the checks that it's writing thematically it can't cash narratively I, I think i'm getting my metaphor mixed up but i i don't think that the places that it ends up thematically really justify the very strange storytelling moves that it makes yeah yeah um it's funny because that you mention uh having mixed metaphors just talking about this movie because i feel like i i keep trying to resort to metaphor as well like with that narrative shift halfway through i kind of felt as though the floor dropped out for me and i think that this might also be an issue with the movie's storytelling as well is that there are a lot of instances where the movie tries to get at its point through a metaphor. So Mary walks into uh, a comedy show at one point after she's um, had a really rough day at work, I think. 
And the movie kind of gets at the point of what's going on through the comedian's monologue. Um, there are a couple of other instances where one character will explain the world or how the world is working to another character using a metaphor. There's, there's a sandwich involved at one point, and specifically the meat in the sandwich. And I think if you're layering that many metaphors on top of a story that could already function kind of as a metaphor for how an uncaring church can feel to somebody who feels trapped within that structure, at, at some point you're going to end up tumbling underneath the weight of all of those metaphors, unfortunately, and just like my own sentence just did under underneath that one too. <laughs> um, and I kind of wish that the movie had been willing to just come out and say precisely what it was about. Maybe not get rid of the central metaphor of demon possession, but maybe not also try to have so much writing on that metaphor. I, I think a lot of the, the problem of cinema today is that um, it's very easy to tell a story where the metaphor in the movie is the entire point. Um, and so that kind of subsumes the point of even telling an interesting story about interesting characters because the metaphor is the entire point. And in this one, it feels like they kind of tried to get around the question of that metaphor by adding additional metaphors around as, as mm. sort of set dressing. And I found that frustrating because I really do appreciate the point that I think the movie was trying to get to, which is that faith is really hard and that faith in a community that has kind of elided all of the actual faith and only adopted the symbols of the faith is is kind of unsustainable. Like it's rocky ground. Nothing's going to grow there. There's the metaphors again, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I, th I think once you start to revert back to the metaphor and not tell just a straight story about characters, then it kind of gets muddled in the execution. It's... It's disappointing too because I actually think you you mentioned that that final scene uh, involving a conversation between two characters where one character uh, essentially uses a sandwich as a metaphor for living life and uh, offers what I thought was a very compelling explanation of the centrality of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. Christ's incarnation is central to our faith for very specific reasons, mm -hmm. and this speech that the character gives actually lays it out very well and. Uh, the actor Jake Horowitz of uh, from The Vast of Night mm -hmm. is just a tremendous actor, and it makes it makes me kind of again think that this is why I I think it might be a problem with the directing of the actors because some actors I feel like you know in Horowitz's case it's so it, it, it the the speech that he gives is so convincing mm -hmm. and so compelling that and makes sense for his character mm -hmm. it makes me think not so much that one actor is better than the other but simply that one actor maybe is more comfortable kind of entering that mode and the other ones kind of don't haven't been directed in any uh, appreciable way to express that uh compellingly that's just a theory on my part mm -hmm. but i i think that that final scene getting back to your point about the metaphors is i think it, it actually works really well and i think it works because it does present a very um clear vision of Christianity as it actually is. Mm. It's theologically pretty sound. Mm -hmm. um, the the way the uh, the character delivers it is plausibly the way a character, you know, a priest would 
you know, do that over sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt very convincing and very real. But then the movie ends. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like that for me was maybe the the film the film in a nutshell where just like there's a lot of interesting things going on in it in in the screenplay mm-hmm. but there's nothing there, there's no real con- connective tissue and i think that's kind of where we get back to genre like if you're going to tell a genre story you have to deliver the genre goods somehow or at least you have to have the story part down and i feel like this film is so interested in saying something about faith that it forgets that it actually has to you know, builds a structure around that that can support it. Otherwise, we might as well just be reading an essay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think it would have been more compelling if it had been more of a horror movie or less of a horror movie? I it could have, I, either. I think could have could have worked. I mean, I I don't know that I I want to criticize a movie for what it's not rather than what it is. But mm-hmm. I think that final scene works really well. It's just kind of a very straightforward indie drama about a young woman struggling with her faith and a priest trying to kind of help her through it. Mm-hmm. I think the the early exorcism scenes aren't particularly compelling in in the the way that they they're filmed as horror set pieces. I can conceive of that uh, of of a film built entirely around the exorcism maybe working. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think the the problem is the the film just doesn't seem like it it knows what story it wants to tell it just knows a point that it wants to make mm. and maybe that's that's just not a good way to make a movie <laughs> yeah yeah which is a real bummer because again like there's there's seeds of something really interesting here i just don't know that it, it managed to pull that off yeah it's it's a bummer for sure especially because i know Lindsay, you uh thought highly of this film and were very interested in uh hearing us talk about it but um, you know, we got to call it, call it as we see it. Um, thanks for, for exposing us to us. I don't think that I would have even been aware of this film if it hadn't been for Lindsay making us aware of it. And I really do appreciate just people championing the little movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk about blockbusters often enough on the show, but it's, it's nice to talk about the smaller films as well. Even when they're not fully successful, uh, it's still, it's nice to know that there are people out there, you know, trying and, and, you know, making movies about ideas, I guess. That's that's nice to see. Yeah, I would much rather grapple with a movie that I think is interesting and doesn't manage to pull it off than, than watch a movie that is so slippery and slick that you can't really get any purchase on it. Absolutely. This one, at the very least, gave me a lot to think about, and I really did appreciate that. It's a movie that, that wants you to puzzle over it. You know, it, it's not so much that Reese is just an incompetent storyteller. He, you know, obviously all of these storytelling moves are very intentional. Mm-hmm. The screenplay structure is very intentional. I don't think it's fully successful, but the reason for those storytelling moves is obviously he wants you to ask yourself, why is the movie doing this? Mm-hmm. Why is the movie this way? And that may be leading you to to fruitful avenues of inquiry. So I appreciate it on that level, at least. Yeah. And thank you, Lindsay, for your support and for picking out this movie. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, that'll do it for our bonus episode for November. You already know the ways to get in touch with us on email seeing and believing capc at gmail.com tweeting us at c believe pod if you ha- have a chance to check out this film for yourself it is uh streaming on hulu for free it's also rentable on other streaming platforms as well so if you've got a chance to 
check it out and have some thoughts similar or different to ours, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. But that'll do it for this month's bonus episode. We'll catch you in December with another one of these. And of course, don't forget to check us out in your feeds every Friday. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.